Now, I wonder, how many friends have you got on Facebook? Or how many followers do you have on Instagram or Twitter? And then of those friends and followers, how many of them are real friends? I mean, how many of them do you actually know? Let's be honest. I think of mine, my Facebook friends, I've got people I met on there like 10, 12 years ago. And I honestly don't remember meeting them. (laughs) But I don't have the guts to defriend them. Real friends, not just digital associates, not just people we've had a couple of conversations with, are one of the real missing components of our society today. YouGov did some research this year. They found that 30% of UK millennials feel that they are always or often lonely. Now, rather than speculate about why that is, because I think there are probably all sorts of reasons, I don't think it's just social media, I think the best thing we can do is jump right back into 1 John again this morning, and John is going to help us discover what real, genuine relationship looks like. Last week, we opened up at the beginning of chapter 3, and John says, See, behold! Now, if John had been writing to churches in Glasgow, I think he might have said something more like, Oh! Oh, yes! He wants, their, he wants their attention. He's like, come on! Oh, yeah! And he wants their attention... Because he wants them to see that this thing, we, this faith we call Christianity is not distant from the God in who we believe in, but it's personal, it's close. In fact, we call him Father and he calls us sons and daughters. He has lavished his love on us. He has actually joined us to him, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in love. That love that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has always had for one another, that eternal love, that is what we have been joined to. We are called sons and daughters because we share the inheritance of the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's brought us into a love that can never stop loving. And John says, and that is what you are, not what you will become. That's who you are. Now, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And so in today's passage, in chapter 3, verses 11 through 24, John helps us see what it means to be part of this family that we've been born into. And I want us to see three things about genuine love. Number one, love is our family feature. Number two, love is our fa- the, the love that we see in Christ, in Jesus, is our family definition. And three, love is our family practice. We actually do it. 
So let's start by reading the first few verses in 1 John. So turn with me to 1 John if you have a Bible with you. And let me read it to you. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love, who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Father God, thank you that you've made us children of yours, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Father, that you love us, that you adore us, Lord. I pray that that wouldn't just wash over us. I pray that daily we would be reminded of your genuine love for us. But Lord, as we receive your love, I pray now that you would help us to work out how do we love one another well? How do we love like you have loved us? How do we display to the world around us a new way of life, a different way of life, a way of life that is a kingdom life, a life that follows after the way of the Son? A love that is different, that is set apart. Help us, God, I pray, to be genuine in our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. So first thing is this, love is our family feature. Now, like in chapter uh, 1 of 1 John, he's using this phrase from the beginning, not just to reflect back to the very beginning, as in Genesis 1 beginning, but actually the beginning of your faith. He's pointing us back, pointing believers back to the moment that we first believed. He's saying, look, Loving your brothers and sisters in Christ is something that you were born into. So when you became a Christian, not only did you become a child of God, but you became a brother and a sister in the church. We are family and we have been born into the church. Because let's be honest, we don't like to think about that that often I mean love Jesus sure I love Jesus but do I love Andy (laughs) yes I do Andy do in our highly individualistic culture it becomes instinctive I think for us to assume that being a son or a daughter of God is a bit like being in a family home where you go into your own room with your screen and then maybe every so often Your parent comes and visits you. Even your food is taken to you and you eat in your room. But you don't really live as a family. But that that is not the type of family that God is calling us to be. Think much more Italian family around the dinner table on a Sunday than the American family in front of their screens in their own rooms 
TV on the wall. Not only are we sons and daughters of God, we have become brothers and sisters made to love one another. John reminds us, genuine believers love believers, even if they are really annoying. Maybe especially if they're really annoying. So what's this story of Cain and Abel doing here? This seems strange, doesn't it? Okay, so we're in the New Testament. John has been talking about the love of the Father. And suddenly he starts talking about Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's kids. What's that about? It's a bizarre story. Cain and Abel had both made offerings to God. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was not. Cain gets very bitter and jealous, so much so that he plans the murder of Abel and carries it out. Wow. So what does Cain's fit of jealousy have to do with us? What does it have to do with being a child of God? What does it have to do with the church, the family of God? Because we will be tempted towards bitterness and jealousy. It's not a question if, it's a question of when. John is being extremely frank. If you choose to remain in bitterness towards another family member within the church, you do not take part in eternal life and the life that God has gifted you as a child of God. You actually take part in the death passed down from generation to generation from the sin of Adam. That's what you choose to do in that moment. You don't live out your new status given in God as a child of God. You live out your old life. Last week we saw people being baptised and we, and we said when they went down it symbolised that they died to their old life and they were raised to new life. Well to remain in bitterness towards a brother or a sister, John says, is like remaining in the grave, like remaining in that old life of death. It stinks. And he wants you to be fragrant with glorious, resurrected, new life. Cain chose to dwell in bitterness at his brother's success. We are called to celebrate each other's successes. Cain chose competition with his brother. We are called to honour ours. Cain chose to destroy his brother, to tear him down. We are called to build ours up. When we don't love one another and choose bitterness, envy, anger, jealousy, we take part in the death that reigned in the world through Adam, not the life that reigns through Christ in his new and glorious kingdom. We become spiritual murderers. We need to let go of play, playground fairness. One for one. Do you ever do a one for one in the playground? You got a sweetie, they've got a sweetie. One for one. We need to let go of that. And we need to embrace the one for none swaps. We need to be willing to give away and not receive. Jesus said they will know you by your love for one another. There are lots of things that churches want to be known for. Not often enough is it their love for one another. 
Some want to be known for great worship. Some want to be known for solid Bible teaching. Some want to be known for serving the poor. Some want to be known for a vibrant kids' ministry or youth group. Some want to be known for their coffee. We want to be known for our love for one another. Now, we also want to be known for some of these other things because they tie into what it means to love one another, to love one another in the gospel. But primarily, to the world around us, we want to be known for our love for one another that reflects the love of Jesus. They'll know we're all about Jesus because we love each other. They'll they'll know we're all about Jesus because we can't stop talking about him and we can't stop trying to be like him. That love is not just pie in the sky. It's not a definition that we just come up with. The kind of love that we are talking about is one that has been done perfectly. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. By the way, when we talk about brothers from the ESV in this passage, we're talking about brothers and sisters. Okay, just want to make that very clear. Brothers and sisters. Our second point, love, is our family definition. Our family, the church, has a distinct and radical definition for love, and his name is Jesus. So as he said, right, the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Or when he said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. If we want to love one another, we've got to get really familiar with the way in which God loves us. Loving one another begins by being loved by God. It is to let the scars of Jesus define you, not the scars of your experience. We need to return again and again and again and again to the cross for our motivation for love. Our friend on the 17th, who's coming on the 17th, Donnie Driggs, he talks about how two people don't make a whole person. It's our security in the love of God that will help us, will allow us to truly love one another. If If we come to one another looking to be fulfilled by each other rather than fulfilled in the love of God and then going to one another, what we will find is that two broken people just continually mess each other up. Now, we are broken people, but we've got to be broken people who keep looking back to Jesus and to his love again and again and again. We mustn't tire of that. That needs to be in the heart of who we are, continually humbling ourselves before the cross and saying, Jesus, I need your love. I need the love of the Father that I experienced through you, that I can know, that I know is certain, that I am, that I am a child of God because of what you did at the cross. And we need to keep going back there, keep humbling ourselves if we want to love one another. 
And actually that begins by recognising how awful we were before Jesus rescued us from ourselves. You know, each of us had positioned ourselves as an enemy of God. Each of us were interested in our own wants and desires and not interested in the jealous love of God for us. You thought you knew better. But you were no better than this murderer, Cain. But God, rich in mercy and abounding in love, pursued you all the way to the cross. God himself, the word who was in the beginning and was with the word and was the, with, was the word, God himself came on this loving mission to save you that he knew would lead to the cross where he was poured out like a drink offering as his blood poured out of him at this brutal death at the hands of Roman executioners on a cross. He laid himself down for you. That's what took him there. The Godhead, perfectly united as one in love, made a plan to bring you into the same love that he has always enjoyed. God the Son died for you. And now you're God's son or daughter. You're a, you're a friend of God. He died so you would be with him forever. He loves being with you. Do you know that? Do you know that God loves being with you? Do you? Do you really know that? I think a lot of the time we act as if we don't. He loves being with you. He pursued friendship with you with such passion that he would die for you. He loves you. He adores you. How does that compare to friendship on Facebook? What a friend we have in Jesus. And now, now that we've reminded ourselves of this love, I want you to think of someone you have struggled with in church life. Perhaps in this church. Perhaps in a previous church. Someone you may even have felt bitterness towards. Still do, maybe. Maybe it's partly why you're here, why you're not at another church. Someone whose name, when it comes up, it makes you want to retract. It makes you want to hide. When they approach you, you don't want to speak to them. It makes your heart sink. Think about them for a moment. Or maybe just think about someone you struggle with. You struggle chatting to them. Struggle the idea of loving them. Struggle the idea with the idea of laying yourself down for them. Listen. Not only does God adore you, but he adores that person. All that I just described that God did for you, he also did for that person. 
that is still really uncomfortable to you, you need to look closer at what God has done for you. How far you had drifted from God and how much God still loved you. That is the love that should inform how we work out church family life. Well, Ian, I came here for a, a few nice songs, a cheery message. Tell us some nice stories. The church is a radical place to be. If we have the guts to be who we are, to be the sons and daughters of God who love one another by this definition, Christ crucified. We will be joining with the greatest revolution that has ever taken place and ever will. That kind of friendship, that kind of brotherly affection, that kind of family love, brothers and sisters joining together and that kind of Christ-centered going to the cross again and again and again and denying ourselves for the sake of others, that kind of love, that kind of love is exactly the kind of love that this generation especially, particularly needs. Individualism has trained us to assert our own way, especially when we are challenged. Consumerism has taught us that we always have the right to more choice. When you apply that to relationships, that often means that we never get deep enough with anyone because we bail out when it's hard to really enjoy the benefits of genuine relationship, genuine friendship. If we want to see Glasgow transformed by the love of God, we have got to commit to loving one another. We need to be willing to lay down our own lives for one another, to be known by that. The best friends I have, I have been through stuff with. I've been a total idiot to them. And they have probably been a bit of an idiot to me. And because we got through those times, we are best of friends. You know what? I've had to die to myself and come back too many times to say, I am not the perfect friend. We need to realize that. And no one's going to be the perfect friend to you except Jesus. And so we need to work through offending one another. We need to work through our bitterness. In the summer of my 22nd birthday, I had uh, reconstructive surgery on my hip. I was feeling a bit down about it all. I was like a, a really active guy. I was always playing sport. And then for six weeks, I had to be bedridden. I wasn't allowed to put any weight on my, uh, on my hip. And uh, mom and dad went on holiday. They were doing a brilliant job of looking after me and dealing with my melancholy. And um, one of my best mates came around for a week Gave up his summer plans. He's 22. He could do anything. He could travel Europe. He could go to the state. He could have done something really exciting. Gone and done Camp America or whatever. He gave up his week and came and looked after me. And I was a grump. I was a nightmare to be around. He would bring me through juice. And I'd be sitting in my bed thinking, it's taking him so long to make a juice. And he would come in 
and the juice would be too strong or it wouldn't be strong enough and I'd say dude that black that's, not, that's too strong that's not strong enough it's, it's embarrassing to say he took me for a job interview he like helped carry me into the car and then this is so embarrassing I can't believe I'm about to tell you this <laughs> I felt like I'd be too peely wally to get the job and so I decided that I would go and get a sunbed. And I said, Beza, you'll need to help me do this. And so he took me in, carried me in, helped me into the sunbed, helped me undress. And I was still an idiot to him all week. But we've been through stuff, so we're best of friends. We need to be willing to forgive one another. We need to be willing to say, you're an idiot. In a gentle, loving way. Genuinely. We need to be willing to forgive one another. We need to be willing to allow our friendship sometimes to be one way. We need to allow ourselves to die to our own wants and needs in the relationship. And then we'll be known for our love for one another. Proverbs 18.24 says this, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the kind of stuff we want, isn't it? That's the kind of relationship we need to prioritise. We need to prefer one another, starting by turning up. That might mean sacrificing some of the things that you love to be a Grace community, to be here on a Sunday, to spend time together. This stuff can sound really great to talk about. When it comes down to it, it means you have to give stuff up. If we really want to make this work, if we really want Glasgow Grace to have a genuine gospel impact in this city, we need to be willing to give up some of the worldly pleasures that we enjoy. And we need to be able to prioritise our relationships with one another. We need to be willing to go the long and hard road together for the sake of the gospel. Last thing, love is a family practice. Let me read out verses 17 through 24. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against them, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in words or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whenever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Putting this into practice as the family of God is really practical. It's down to earth. It's not just a theory about love. It's love lived out. It's seen and it's heard and it's felt. It's given and it's received. There are just a couple of things I want to draw out from this passage. We could spend hours in this passage. 
Let me just draw out a couple of things. In verse 17, John talks about open hearts. Now, the way that John describes open hearts in verse 17 reminds me of something that Moses says in Deuteronomy 15. He's noticed a problem. The closer that the people get to the year of Jubilee, the seventh year, where debt was cancelled and goods shared out, people were holding back their generosity. They were, being, they were closing their hearts to one another instead of being generous to one another. And Moses calls the Israelites to provide for one another without tight-fistedness or a grudging heart. Jesus took it further. He said, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. When I was living in England, I was constantly getting jokes about being a mean Scot. And I hate to say it, but there's probably a little bit of truth to it. Guys, we need to be known for generosity, not for mean-spiritedness. We need to be known for people as people who are willing to give out without receiving. We need to not be the guy patting his pockets at the bar or who's been for a coffee with someone the time before they remember they've paid. And so they're waiting for the other person to pay. Just pay. Just be generous. If Jesus can go to the cross for you, you can pay for an extra coffee. Jesus is Lord. And we want that to be demonstrated in the way that we live. Trusting in him. Trusting in his generosity. Second thing I want us to see is in verse 18. This is action, not just words. It is easy for me to put together something like that. Pursuing love, truth and unity for God's glory. Glasgow's good. That sounds good, I think. You think that sounds good? But is it being done? Are we, are we doing it? Is that our action? I think as a church plant, this is, we're at a kind of critical phase where we've, we've gathered together, we've, let, we've kind of laid out some vision, and, and that will build, but we've got to really press into living this out. And I think we're seeing little glimpses of that, and I'm so excited about it. But I want to see so much more. I'd like us to go deeper with one another. I'd like us to really sacrifice for one another. I'd love, this, I'd love it if this love that we're talking about was displayed in the things we actually do. Have you noticed someone has been down lately? Have you noticed someone hasn't been turning up to Grace Community or contributing to their Grace Bible reading? Can I urge you to live up to their first word in just about everything that we do? Grace. Extend grace to people. Don't go in with judgments immediately. But go in with love and grace. Find out what's really going on. What's behind that? Don't just write people off, but, but go and spend time listening to them, trying to get to know what's going on in their hearts and their lives. We're not going to be able to, able to do it for everyone. It's one of the things that I've struggled with as we've grown. I've realized, man, we, we need loads of people doing this. this. This can't be just three or four people. This, this has to be everyone looking out for one another, really loving one another. 
If we want to take this seriously, to be a radical community of self-sacrificing love, we need to all, all free up time to live shared lives. To be committed to fellowship. Like that very first church in Jerusalem. Last thing I want us to see here is prayer. Verses 21 to 22. Now this is, this is something you could miss on first read. But John is showing us that prayer is at the heart of family practice. As we love one another, we are building one another up in God. Helping one another to abide in Christ and obey his commands. Verse 22. To be that, to really reach that goal, to help one another be built up in Christ. Not just hang out, but really build one another up in Christ. We need to keep praying together. Prayer needs to be at the heart of what we're doing. But what John says here is that as we love each other, as we genuinely love each other with a a Christ-like, cross-centered love, we become more confident in God in prayer. Do you see that? We increasingly trust our Father who gives good gifts by the love of one another. I was out in Queen's Park the other day with Paul over here. And uh, we decided that we would pray uh, over the city together. And Paul was praying and he said, I just, got the, just get this sense as we look over Glasgow that God wants us to, rem- to remind us of the word Potential. And as we prayed, we felt like God was saying, look over the city of Glasgow with potential, not problem. I think it's very easy in the church at the moment to just look at all the problems. Let's just lay out all the stats of people not going to church. Let's just lay out all the stats of people struggling in depression or drug addiction or whatever it is. But instead of looking out over the city and seeing those problems and thinking, wow, we serve a God who we are confident in. And we serve a God who has poured out his love on us and is working out that love as we love one another. Is showing that to the world and showing potential to the world. Because if I can be saved and I can have my life transformed, then that person can and that person can and that person can and that person can and that person can. We just look at the problems and think, well, we better just huddle together, little holy huddles. And protect ourselves but not look out at the potential of this great city for the glory of God. God can do anything. If he has reached into your heart, taken your dead, stony heart, and made it flesh, and brought it to life, and made you see that Jesus is alive, that he is the resurrected king, and he's filled you with the power of the Holy Spirit, we should be looking out over the city going, Wow! Look at what God can do. And love us to love one another. Partly so, we can see this whole city transformed. Because as we love one another, we grow in confidence in prayer. We grow in confidence in what God can do. Our faith is built and we believe in potential, not problem. Let's see the potential of God's kingdom breaking out across this city instead of looking to problems. 
Love is our family feature. We've got to let go of the one for one and embrace the one for none. Love has a family definition and his name is Jesus. And love is our family practice. We need to not close our hearts off because uh, the government will pay them or because such and such will help them next week. But because we just want to love like Christ has so generously loved us. And love is our family practice through action and prayer. Through action and prayer. Lord God, we don't want to be the type of Christians who just hide in our homes and don't deal with our bitterness and don't really come to the foot of the cross again and again and again. We want to be the Christians who deal with the hard stuff, who go the, the long road with one another, who are willing to be friends to people who have hurt us. And Lord, we know that we can only do that as we look to you, Jesus, as we look to the way in which we have hurt you, but you have still embraced us and loved us and died for us. And so, God, I pray for radical love for one another in this church. I pray for radical love for one another in all the churches of Glasgow. We pray, Father, that churches wouldn't be divided. They'd be unified in this city. And, Lord, we pray that individual churches, that we would be able, with, we'd be able to work together with other churches for your glory in Glasgow's good. Unify this city Unify your people. Help us to love one another. To love like you have loved us. In your glorious name, Jesus.